Does your school belong to any association that connects you with other schools across the world? And if so, what are the benefits that you find of being part of that community? Hey everyone, it's Shane Leaning. Welcome back to Global Ed Leaders, a podcast about education across countries and cultures. I'm an organisational coach and in this show, I learn with the teachers, leaders and innovators making a difference around the world. And I'm also delighted that today's episode is supported by the University of Warwick's Centre for Teacher Education. Stay tuned to learn more or head to the show notes for links. I'm really excited to tell you that today's guest is John Gwynne Jones. He is the CEO of the Federation of British International Schools in Asia, more popularly known as Fabicia. Now, John's had over three decades in the international education system, leading international schools across Southeast Asia predominantly. And he was the inaugural chairperson of Fabicia and is now the CEO. If you're a British international school in Asia, you'll most likely recognize the name Fabicia. But even if you're not in the Asia region, John's insights are so helpful in understanding the importance of community connection between international schools and how they make us much more impactful. I started by asking John to tell me a little bit about what Fabicia is and how it's growing so fast. Let's jump in. Fabicia or Fabicia, there's always a debate how you pronounce it. Yes. It stands for the Federation of British International Schools in Asia. Of course, we are all British international schools in various forms, whether it's curriculum or culture. We're regional. So currently we have 96 premier international schools spread across 19 different countries and growing. When I joined as CEO of the Federation in 2019, we had just under 70 schools. And as I said, currently we're 96. And I'm very confident by the end of this academic year, we will exceed that 100 mark. So it is definitely a growth area. That's an amazing growth. And is that all? I I heard you don't even... Um, it's not even now just a requirement to be in Asia. I hear you've even got some schools who've requested to join from further afield. Well, you know, that was interesting. We had a school in Europe, the British School in Brussels, actually, um, contacted us because um, they'd never been connected with us before, but they were very aware of the activities and uh, the networking that we do in the region, and they wanted to be part of that. Uh, so they asked if there was any way that they could be involved with our community and and of course we've always had heads that leave the region and work in other parts of the world wanting to maintain connection with Fabicia. Um, so with this in mind we we created a new category called Friends of Fabicia. But of course we've had to restrict this to about 20% of our membership because it's <laughs> not our core business as it were. But um yeah, it's nice to see that we, we're maintaining connections outside our region. That really hints to the power of what you called, you called the network. Schools, you know, know how to operate themselves. They're led by experienced principals and heads um, and, and, and great teams of teachers. So where, where in your mind does a federation, this kind of community of schools, bringing them together, where, what, what, how does that help our international schools? 
Well, do you know, that it, it takes me back to my first headship, was, which was in Penang in Malaysia at St. Christopher's International School. And, you know, in, in those days, international schools weren't anything like they are today. You know, um, they were a small community. Uh, all the schools at that time, or most of them, were not-for-profit schools. And it, interestingly, most of the heads were females. They were they were either spouses of managing directors of companies, etc. And I felt at that time, you know, uh, that feeling of isolation. You didn't have a, a community of school leaders that you could reach out to for advice or a guidance or just connection with. Uh, so it, it emerged in the late 80s, early 90s by a group of heads coming together, identifying the fact that they all British type international schools. Uh, they spoke the same language. And if anything, it was a bit like a, a gin and tonic club. You know, it was a good natter, a good morn. <laughs> because, you know, being a school leader, being a head of school can also be quite a lonely role. Uh, so it's, it's always uh, important to be able to connect with your peers. And that's how it all started, really. Uh, that remains uh, a very important part of our community. You know, we just recently had our biggest ever leadership conference. And, you know, the feedback and the comments that people make is, is that connection, is that collaboration, is the networking, is the support. So that remains a high priority in our community. And, you know, every head welcomes that because, you know, if you're at the top, you do need to talk to people who are experiencing the same challenges as you are. Take like COVID-19, right? Mm. You know, to be able to connect with heads from different countries, different parts of, of Asia and find out what's going on there and even from a school down the road. Uh, so that networking is is always been uh, one of the priorities in terms of uh, why we are here, really. It reminds me of a conversation um, I had a few weeks back on the podcast with Richard Reed, who's a, a coach, a leadership coach for school. And he talked very passionately about the power of an outside voice as a support for a principal, he talked of the same way as you said about it can be a very lonely place um, to be there. So having that that outside support, but of course you've expanded in in the way that Fabicia operates, and it's not just for the leadership, although that's a big component. Now it's about connecting the teachers. It's also about connecting the students in in many ways. Would you be able to talk a bit to that? Yeah, you know, um, again, back in those early days, you know, once we established like a, a group, as it were, we thought, right, what else can we offer our schools that that creates that community feeling? And the first activity we organized was the Fabicia Games. Of course, <laughs> you talk to many people in our schools about Fabicia and they will say the games. Uh, however, it's more than that now. So we initially then thought, right, what can we offer our students so that we can have this cultural uh, cross-school uh, communication and competition and whatever else? And then, of course, we thought, well, what about our staff? You know, what what can we offer them in terms of their development and and networking? So we created a, a continued professional development or learning uh, program uh, that offers them opportunities of coming together and sharing good practice or improving themselves 
through different qualifications. So, you know, those now are key factors in the organization in terms of uh, our students and our staff. And if anything, they've overtaken <laughs> the importance of supporting their heads. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I think my experience for a phobicia or phobicia, by the way, is there an official pronunciation or, or are, you, are you totally open to the both? We are open. We are open. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. I can't get it wrong then. No, you can't get it wrong. I was in a, a school that was a member in the British school in Guangzhou in China. But uh, one of the big things that I took from this network was they run these job-alike workshops, the idea that teachers can set up their own kind of theme and topic. And we run one on English as an additional language and brought a community together across Asia, which surprised me that people were coming to Guangzhou of all places from, from Thailand, from Vietnam, from Singapore, from Hong Kong, all, all, all across Asia to learn together. And I just had such a wonderful experience of community in that. And, and that's what I've taken from Fabicia. Is that, is that one of the biggest parts of what, what you do, would you say? Um, not the biggest part. You know, there's a huge demand from our job-alike workshops. Um, because it is sharing good practice and it's run by peers. You know, we don't necessarily bring guest speakers in. So, you know, people get to hear what's happening in different schools uh, and they walk away then with with great ideas. So it's it's a great tool. It's a great opportunity. And, you know, what's happened since COVID is that, you know, for example, we have a, a teaching assistant job alike workshops next week. And we've got nearly 100 teaching assistants attending, but not in person. It's, it's an online job-alike workshop. So, you know, the, the virtual opportunities and the hybrids that we have now um, makes it much more effective, and especially in terms of costs. But in addition to the job-alike workshops, you know, conferences have become popular now because, you know, they're often in person and we're able to afford to bring keynote speakers. Um, so they hear from the experts, as it were, um, as to current trends or changes in in particular areas. Uh, so the conferences now are becoming very popular. And in addition to that, then we have uh, qualification courses from the UK, you know, the MPQ Pro courses. So people then will commit to those knowing that that's helping their own development and particularly with their careers as well. So... There's, there's a huge mixed bag there, really, that you can just dip into. And, and what I've loved to see we've developed recently is it's not just about teachers or school leaders. As I mentioned, the teaching assistants are equally as important. And alongside, you know, people that work in our administrations, you know, our business managers, our finance officers, our human resources people our marketing, our operations, uh, you know, our admissions, you know, they never get an opportunity to come together. So we've created that as well. And, you know, in the future, we're planning to do much more with regards to governance. Because, you know, governance, governors who approve schools to be members of our uh, association, you know, what's in it for them? And, you know, governance is so important in schools. So, there's so much there at the moment, and um, 
it's great to see. Uh, and of course, this is driven not by, say, myself or HQ here in Bangkok. This is driven by bottom-up, right? We've got executive committees set up in our organization, such as CPD, such as safeguarding, you know, P and sports. And, and these executive committees then are made up of teachers from our schools who, are, who really identify what the needs are. So if it, this is kind of committee-led, how do you get people to, to innovate and think of ideas? You know, uh, are, are schools generally willing and people generally willing to contribute to the federation, or do you have to twist some people's arms to help with the development of, of the association? Not really. People are very forthcoming. And, you know, the committees we have, they, they are so passionate in terms of supporting our Say, for example, now they'll, they'll send out surveys to schools saying, right, what do you see your needs, for example, in safeguarding? And then it'll come back and we'll see patterns then that are quite common uh, in terms of what our schools are looking for. You know, um, affluent neglect in safeguarding mm. is a, a very hot topic these days. And it comes back from most of our schools. So when they get the results of these surveys, they can see then um, what the needs are. Uh, so, you know, and, and then we send out, you know, each year we send out bids to schools to host events because that's another important thing. You know, the schools want to showcase themselves. So they will say, right, I want to host a safeguarding conference and bring 100, 200 people of designated safeguarding leads to the conference. And they get an opportunity to showcase their schools then. And, and and they feel very proud of that. It's a great setup in that way, then, and it's a pleasure to be part of it, to be honest. I remember a principal who I used to work with said, yeah, let's try host everything because this is great re teacher recruitment for us. We can just keep showing off our school. So I imagine a lot of that comes to you, John, does it? Like yeah, well, you know, even, even today now, one of my colleagues here at HQ was saying that um, – a PE teacher communicated with us saying, oh, my head says I've got to host something next year. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Please help me. What should I host? <laughs> so, I mean, is the way Fabicia set up, do you just connect schools? Or there, or is there an aspect of do you um, support schools in their running? Or is there any accountability that schools um, have with Fabicia? No, you know, the, the, the important thing is all each member in our community is autonomous. You know, um, we don't interfere in the way they're organized or what they do. Uh, there are certain criteria that they must meet and they must be accredited, you know, so they go through a full inspection. So they have to be schools of, of standard, you know, and that's, that's quite important, which is so different from the early days, you know, so every school in our community either is or working towards full accreditation. Um, so those are the only conditions, I suppose, we, we, we expect from our schools. They sometimes reach out to us for advice, uh, so, but we don't interfere, you know, in terms of the individual members of our schools. You know, and even within our schools, there are groups of schools. You know, you have the North Anglia, you have the Dulwiches, the Harrows, uh, where they've got multiple schools in their community. The important thing for us is uh, this sense of belonging. You know, I am part of Fabicia, and I'm very proud to be part of that community. So we belong, and we emphasize that quite strongly 
And, you know, as I said, you know, a conference in Kuala Lumpur just recently in November, you know, there was a really strong sense of belonging. And, and, you know, we have links with other British International School Associations. And one of them said to me, wow, how do you manage to get so many of these people together? And look at look at the environment and atmosphere you're creating. And it, it just evolves, you know, because... Even though, you know, when we spoke earlier about, the, you know, the, the membership, there's no hierarchy. Here. You know, if you've got a school of two, three thousand students or a school of two, three hundred students, you are seen as equals with your peers. You know, and, and we, we don't differentiate then between the big schools or the small schools. Okay, there's only a bit of differentiation in what you pay because, you know, the bigger schools are going to pay more. <laughs> but in terms of that respect and value, all our schools are looked equally in that, that context, you know. Now, you will often hear me talk, including in this episode, on developing great teachers and how much of a challenge that can be for school leaders. Now, luckily, the University of Warwick Centre for Teacher Education really stands out. They have a host of courses, including their brilliant PGCI, which is bespoke for our international school setting. The course blends online learning with practical experience and not only addresses these immediate recruitment needs and challenges we have, but fosters a long-term evidence-informed teaching ethos. Discover how you can support new teachers in your school with the University of Warwick using the link in the show notes. I'm interested in that you said there's the sense of belonging. You mean like a sense of belonging to this wider group. What is it that people feel connected with? Is it is it Britishness? Is it the fact we're all kind of on the same mission? I wonder what it is. I think there's a, a bit of pride of being part of an organisation, and that is Fabicia. You know, okay, there, there is that... British element in it, but we, I think we could talk about three days about that because, uh, you know, each school is very different in that context. Either whether, you know, some schools say, well, I'm British because I do the Cambridge IGCSE and full stop, that's it. Whereas other schools, you know, deliver the English national curriculum. And when you walk into them, you, you would imagine you're in a school in London, for example, in terms of the displays you see, etc. Whereas other schools, celebrate more of the internationalism in their schools. So they, they are very different in, in many respects. But, you know, they, as, in terms of sense of belonging, you know, COVID-19 is a great example. You know, um, the challenges our schools had during that time. And then to know that there's a network out there ready to um, support you is incredible. You know, take, for example, our schools in China, they had a quite a challenging time, right? And yes. they were the last ones to be able to come out of COVID-19. Fabicia supported them as much as we can in, in financially in terms of reducing the membership fees for them because they couldn't participate as much as the other schools could. So they welcomed that support, you know, and, um, and then, you know, when you, when you wanted to speak to somebody, there's always somebody there for you, you know, so... And we all know each other. You know, that's a great thing. You know, even though we are about 100 schools now, it's, it's still like a family, like a close community. And, and I think that's what makes it successful. Yeah, I can understand that. And, and there's, you're a community linked by certain things, whether that be most schools, you know, because 
in Asia and what 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 that context means? Well, yeah, you know, that's the other thing. You know, we're in Asia. And, you know, it's interesting when we invite guest speakers, like recently at the Teaching Community Conference, we had speakers from the UK and they were blown away, right? And, and we educated them, you know, in terms of the diversity in our schools, uh, in terms of the different cultures, you know, you in Asia, you, you know, this loss of faith, you know, you wouldn't have that in UK or in Europe. Uh, and getting them to understand that it's not as straightforward, you know, topics like LGBT, you know, in some of our countries, you 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 can't approach that because in that country, it's unacceptable. So there are influences that are sometimes regional that we have to be very conscious of as well, you know. Yeah, I can understand that. And especially being British schools in Asia, I mean, it carries... It can carry negative connotations, right? A British British schools in Asia, and you know, there's 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 kind of uh, colonial kind of ideas floating around around. You know, you've got the British flag behind you, and I'm I'm interested. I'm interested, John. If, do, does Fabicia have a a take on what makes a school British? Do you have like a do you do like what they do when you immigrants come to the, to Britain and they have to pass a pass a test on whether you know the names of the royal family? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> well, you have to speak an element of Welsh to start with. Um, no, no. Well, you know, there is a criteria for membership, and um, the Britishness goes back to those late 1880s, 90s. And, you know, interestingly, you know, if you look at surveys and research has been done, you know, British international schools are the highest number of international schools globally, right? Right. You know, uh, far beyond... Uh, American schools, uh, and really there's no other schools that come close to a British international school. So it's a great export of the UK. And the reputation of UK as as an educational uh, centre of excellence with its universities, uh, its curriculum, its assessments, you know, is, is worldwide renowned, you know. So, um, you know, when new schools are set up, people are looking for uh, uh, the British British type international school, um, and of course, what's grown tremendously in our community are the UK independent school brands. Right, you know, in Forbesia itself, they make up nearly a third of our membership. Unheard of, you know, the Harrows, the Wellingtons, the Halebury's—they are huge and growing. So, if schools in the UK now have seen the potential of setting up their branches overseas. Um, we, you know, that's the one thing we have in common is the fact that there is an element of Britishness, Britishness amongst all of us. But having said that, you know, many of our heads are from New Zealand, from Australia. So it doesn't necessarily mean that all your staff or heads need to be from the UK. And it's interesting, you know, funnily enough, John, I was at one of these schools earlier today. Um, speaking with one of these uh, one of these british um, chain schools and they were talking a lot about how they can try localize what they do how their school their british school with with red british bricks and uh, you know and a clock tower how that fits in to their local community context here in china i was i'm really interested are you seeing more schools shifting from that kind of pure British style approach to a more localized Asian context. 
You know, it depends on on the school itself, you know, in terms of its history, its direction, you know, the change of demographics within the school. You know, take, for example, when I worked in Malaysia, you could not have Malaysians in your school. It was 100% expatriates. You know, today, Malaysians can make up 100% of your school. So, you know, things are changing, and I suppose schools have to change with those trends. Uh, and in doing so, yes, they might review their mission and their vision and, and sort of be less British and become more international. Yes, of course, things will change in that respect. But within our context, the O, uh, the o and the B, Federation of British International Schools, right, as opposed to Federation of International Schools, you know, in other Regions like in China, they have ACAMIS, which is the Association of International Schools. So you have American, British, uh, expatriate schools like Japanese, all kinds of schools there. Your costs the same. Uh, but, you know, we are unique. And of course, we, we've got partners across the world as well. You know, you, we've got BSME in the Middle East. We've got COBIS, which is global, AOBSO, Latin America, NABs in Spain. So it's great that we've got other networks beyond our region that we work closely with as well. And, you know, only recently we we actually set up a coalition of safeguarding amongst British international schools around the world. Fantastic. You know, in safeguarding our students even more now in terms of potential risk. So it's not just a network for us in Asia, but we can expand beyond that in terms of additional support. And of course, we've got links with British government, Department of Business and Trade. They are absolutely fantastic in recognizing the importance of British international schools. The DFE, um, again, supporting us with qualifications like the IQTS. So being British, it gives you access to all this as well, you know. Mm, there's, so there's a support network within Fabicia, but there's also support that comes just wider. Take, for example, our teachers. Oh, I want to work closer to the UK. You know, my family, my parents are become elderly. Right, okay, you know, move to the Middle East, move to Europe. You know, we've got a network of schools. And the wonderful thing is, you know, people know Fabicia. And they know, right, if you're coming from a Fabicia school, you certainly are of a, a specific standard and you know i was meant to meet with uh, minister nick gibb in in january and 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 talk to him about teachers in internationals british internationals who's returning to work in the uk and making sure that they are being recognized for the quality of teaching and learning they've had in the experience of international schools because uh, sometimes you know the uk once you go overseas they think you're out in the wilderness you know they go you know, you, you've lost the plot. And yet, you know, we had um, the secretary of HMC come out to a conference recently and he visited a number of our schools, Simon Hyde. And he was blown away with what he saw and the quality of, of our schools. So, you know, unless you see it, you, you, there's this perception that we, we're still in the jungle. Oh, dear me. John, I'm so <laughs> glad you're doing that work because I've spoken to so many teachers and leaders who have gone back, they've come out to Asia, they've taught, they've gone back to the UK, having had this amazing experience in these brilliant schools and struggled to get jobs because there was like this 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 confusion as to what that is. 
Well, you know, you're you're absolutely right, and it, it's criminal. It's absolutely criminal because you know the quality of teachers in our schools, and you know the other thing, you know, as a as a head, ex head, you know, my teachers are on contract, so they have to achieve a certain standard, and they do, uh, and they're worth their weight in gold. Now, you know, going to a school in UK that brings so much value, uh, and yet again, that's not being recognised. And the other aspect as well, in terms of talking to British government is our British teachers, when, you know, when they've got children of their own and eventually they're going to go to universities in the UK, you know, we want that to be recognised as well. We don't want them to expect to pay international fees for their own children, you know, because they're overseas for temporarily, right, and they're contributing. You know, if you look at the British government, they have a an international education strategy. And in that strategy is the recognition of international, British international schools. In recognizing that, then our teachers going back um, shouldn't have to pay international fees for their students. So that's a bit of a gray area that needs to be sorted out too. I mean, thinking to the future, do you think some of these things can be resolved in the near future? Because my goodness, if that was to happen, that would be a big draw for teachers with children, for example. Do you know, the majority of teachers get around it. But, you know, it, it, as I said to you, it is a bit of a grey area and there needs to be a conversation around that. Do you see any other future trends for British international schools, either in Asia or around the world? With COVID, there was a big discussion about virtual learning, you know, and um Yet again, what's come out of that is the importance of teachers who can't replace teachers. Uh, so that's that's a great plus. Uh, but of course, now the innovations such as you know artificial intelligence and the impact that will have on on learning, you know, and um, you know this hybrid model, particularly other children get older in the schools. You know, do they have to come to school every day of the week? Can you can they do their you know research and their learning from home? Um, but there's always challenges with this. It's not straightforward, you know, because all our schools are fee-paying. And, you know, parents will say, well, I want value for money. My child will come to school every day, not realizing that they can be just as effective working from home. But, you know, technology is going to have a huge impact on schools in the future. And, and watch that space, really. I'm excited to see that there are many British international schools actually experimenting with new technology, trying out different things. And I think, uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if if British international schools can evolve in that way and continue to lead? Because, you know, the I guess the British brand isn't invincible, right? It's maybe got a good reputation for education currently, but we need to continue to innovate and change. And hopefully, I have a lot of faith that British international schools, even more so than schools in the UK, can really lead some of that innovation and change. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, you know, our schools are at cutting edge of, of education and it includes technology, right? You know, they want to be at the forefront, you know, in terms of innovation. They want to have be at, at the sort of start of new ideas, such as artificial intelligence. You know, it's interesting. We, I had training with my colleagues here at HQ today from a um, one of the teachers at Bank of Patina School next door talking to us about artificial intelligence and just running us through just one aspect of ChatGBT, for example. 
wow, she blew me away. <laughs> but, you know, the wonderful thing is, think, you know, she was discussing how she applies this with her students. And the first thing you think of is, oh, well, you know, is artificial intelligence now going to do the work for the students? And she says, no, because we know what they're capable of doing. So if they use ChatGDP to produce their essays or thesis or research, then they can tell, well, <laughs> this child didn't do the work here. It's ChatGPT that's done it. So they're using ChatGPT then as a tool to sort of develop them, you know, to be more sort of uh, thinkers and innovators and so on. So so impressive. You know, and you go to any of our schools and, you know, for example, you look at the facilities and the resources they have. Wow. You know, it's it's amazing. Uh, and the same applies to technology. So, you know, they, they are at the cutting edge without any doubt. And they, they're hungry to want to know more, you know. And that's why they're so valuable if they return to work in the UK. Yes. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I feel like because the nature is that these schools are usually fee-paying schools, you know, many of the students are very privileged to attend these brilliant schools. There's also a responsibility that the schools come with, like uh, to innovate, to move education forward and to, you know, really prepare these students well for that uh, uncertain future. Um, which is really fantastic. John, let's say someone's listening and they're, they're an Asian school, a British school in Asia who still haven't joined Fabicia. Where do they, where do they find out about you and how do they, they go about connecting? We don't go and look for schools, even, even friends of Fabicia. They, they come to us and, um, you know, it's a very simple process. You know, you do a search on Google and put in Fabicia and it, or, or, British international schools in Asia, and we are there. And then if they go onto our website, there's a tremendous amount of information on the things that we've just talked about. You know, well, what are the benefits of being a member? Is it just to have the logo on my letterhead, or is there more to it than that? And then, you know, it is a selective process. It's not like <laughs> schools, you know, bums on seats. You know, we do, we do, we do a bit of research on the schools. Uh, in terms of whether there's a fit there or not. And again, you know, the importance of it is, you know, um, I'm just thinking of recent schools that joined us. And, you know, within a very short period of time, they they really have that feeling of belonging, you know, and they take full advantage of what's available to them. They can dip into whatever they want. We just had a design competition uh, recently and, you know, when I looked at the entries and the winners, oh, I was delighted to see that many of them were schools that have just joined us in the last sort of six months, right? So, you know, that that, that really lifts you in terms of, wow, at least they, they've joined for the right reasons, you know. But they do come to us. The challenge is going to be, you know, when we're up to about 150, 200 schools. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure all the all the people in the office next to you are sweating at the idea of that. Well, you know, we've had we've had this debate, you know, it's interesting. Over the years, I you know, I was a founding member of Fabicia and um at one time, you know, there was this right, close the doors, we're not taking any more schools, let's remain, you know, small like a little family and uh, a bit of a gin and tonic club and and keep it that way, you know? And people said, no, you know, 
uh, Fabricius there to support schools, you know, and 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 uh, you know create this community and and again we've set up a HQ. I've got a wonderful team of colleagues here who support our schools and know them well, you know. So in the early days we had none of that. So the infrastructure is there for whatever growth there may be, you know. I'm so glad that de- decision was made to go beyond a, a gin and tonic club. Although I hope gin and tonics are still served at the uh, at the socials <laughs> after their conferences. Well, we do have this um, free flow uh, concept, you know, that uh, people people tend to mellow after they uh, enjoy their company after a while. <laughs> John, thank you so much. This has been a really great chat today. Great, Shane, and um, you know, I love the work that you're doing. I love this chat with John today, really reflecting on Fabicia's significant growth under his leadership, including a global expansion beyond Asia. For me, the things that stand out are the importance of network and community. That supportive network for educators and school leaders really does help enhance our practice. But it's interesting to frame this conversation within that evolution that we're going through the evolution and the changing nature of international schools around the world, meeting varied educational demands. For me, this is why one of the most powerful aspects of an organization like Fabicia is their role in promoting professional development and collaboration. And I'm really excited to see networks like Fabicia continue to support schools right across the world. Global Ed Leaders is hosted and produced by me, Shane Leaning, with original music by Guillermo Silva. If you like the show, it would mean the world if you could write a review on your podcast platform. In fact, here's a recent review from Dusty MB in Australia. Dusty MB says, Shane's discussions with knowledgeable others offer the listener an opportunity for reflection on their work, but the education landscape as a whole. Shane's approach is from genuine curiosity for a nuanced understanding of the contemporary issues dominating the field. Well worth the time to listen. Thank you so much, Dusty MB, for that review. It gives me the energy to keep producing this show. As always, please reach out and share your journey and you can find me on X using my handle at Shane or LinkedIn using those links in the show notes. But if we don't speak before, I'll see you here next week. If you want to improve recruitment and retention of great teachers in your school, don't forget to check out the University of Warwick's teacher training programs using the links in the show notes.